Today's episode is all about Toastmasters. For those of you who don't know, Toastmasters is a public speaking club that has been around since 1924. I actually joined the Toastmasters club myself a couple years back. And when I joined the club, I met Nam, who is one of the longest standing members of the club that I joined. He has actually been part of Toastmasters for the past 20 years. So in this conversation, I was really interested to find out why did he originally join Toastmasters? What has Toastmasters meant to him over the years? What are some of the biggest impacts that Toastmasters has made in his, has made in his life? What are some of the impacts that he has seen Toastmasters make in other people's lives? Nam and I had a very con- candid conversation. And at the end, he gave some advice to people who want to improve their public speaking. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you enjoyed too. All right, Nam. So how's it going? How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well also. So the reason that I was interested to talk to you is because I have been part of the same Toastmasters club as you for, what is it now, almost three years. And I know that you have been part of the club for a long time. And even in these short periods that I have been part of the club for the three years, I have seen what an impact it can make on people. So I was just curious to find out more about what you think about Toastmasters, how you have seen it affect people's life. So that's a general theme of the conversation that I thought we could have. Now, we don't have to stick to that topic, but that's the general theme that I thought. What do you think of the general theme? I think that's fine. Yeah. That is fine. Perfect. So why don't we just start with a bit of story? I can either start with my Toastmaster story or you can start with your Toastmaster story, whatever your is easier for you. Do you want to start with your Toastmaster story? My, my story is probably better than yours, so why don't you start first? <laughs> that is probably true. All right, I'll start with my story. So I was, I was, what was it, like two years into my work life after I'd graduated university. And I was doing well. I was in a technical position. And as I was going through my technical position, I realized that even in the most technical positions where you're just like coding, being able to communicate and being able to present really distinguishes yourself from everyone else, right? Because the people who are able to pass their message along are the ones who really get all the attention, get, are able to progress because they can communicate clearly about the things that they know. So that became very clear to me and it became clear that public speaking and being able to pass your message along is like a fundamental skill that you need to have no matter what you do. Now I see you yeah. smiling, but that's it. That's a realization that I honestly had, right? So I, I, yeah. I came and I checked a couple of different clubs. Um, so I thought, I mean, I don't know how you go about joining Toastmasters. So I just signed up for a bunch of different clubs. And I remember I went into Vancouver Entrepreneurship Club I wanted to broad Toastmaster. And honestly, those are the only two that I remember. The other ones were, you know, I went to one where it was mainly English as second language people practicing. Um, and right away, a couple of things stood out to me in broad Toastmasters, right? There was a couple of people who spoke really well, including yourself. So I looked at now, I, <laughs> I looked at a couple of different people and the way they would just take control of the room was something that... I mean, just really stood out to me. And especially back when we had our in-person meetings where, you know, everything was kind of formal and Ralph was the surgeon at arms at the time who made it even more formal. So everything just seemed like, I don't know, like in, in the back of my mind, I was like, 
one day I want to be able like be able to talk like these guys with so much confidence and really talk about novel topics too, right? Like some people in the club would talk about really complicated things or something that they really, I don't know, care about. And they were able to pass their message along in such a, in my mind, an amazing way. So yeah, I joined uh, Toastmasters. <laughs> and since then, I have known you, Nam. And I think you have seen my journey. So the, probably one of the questions I'm going to ask you is, is, is how you have seen my journey in Toastmasters. But I think it has been great, right? And throughout my time, again, I've seen people who are much better than me. I've seen people who are on the same level. And I've seen people who, you know, just have never been comfortable with public speaking and are making great progress within Toastmasters. And just seeing all of that, and especially like, you know, as members come in, members go, um, members leave. It's just, it's, I don't know, it just gives me a warm feeling to see people come in as like timid characters who are really afraid to even introduce themselves. And then after a couple of months, be able to like speak clearly about whatever they care about. So I, I, I have thought of Toastmasters as being an amazing club, as an amazing idea. And I mean, the, the fact that Toastmasters has been around for this many years is amazing too. So yeah, you are right. I think your story is better than mine. So why don't you share your story? Well, first of all, Payman, that was a great story. <laughs> don't, don't, don't sell yourself short. Sounds good. My story is... It, it's more of a... Uh, not something that... I decided to do it was like someone else decided it for me mm -hmm. so i was working actually i was very similar to you i was you know a couple of years into my it career i was working for a, an it company and then one day so we we do a lot of consulting so we have a lot of client meetings and stuff so so one day i had a client meeting with one of my clients and then uh, one of my employers was also in the meeting. So we had a meeting and then somewhere in the meeting, things did not go right. And it did, it did not go right between me and my boss in the sense that there seems to be some misunderstanding that we had and it was actually his fault. No, it was actually his fault. Really, it was his fault, yeah. <laughs> he did not communicate clearly but it was also my fault because I did not take the initiative to let him know I did not understand what he was saying. So really, it was both our faults. And this took place in front of the customer and it did not make us look good. So after the meeting, he took me aside you know, he called me into his office. He closed the door. I thought, this is not good. When the door is closed, you know, nothing good ever happens when the door is closed. Yes, I know that. So, and that's when he told me, you know, about what happened during the meeting. And he felt that Toastmasters was a good thing for me to take on to improve my communication. And at first I was like, wait a minute. Well, I didn't say this out loud. It was more like me thinking inside. It's like, first of all, this is your fault. 
you're the one who initiated this uh, issue and now somehow I'm responsible and now I have to do this Toastmasters thing so that this cannot happen again. And when I when I first heard about Toastmasters, I felt I felt offended because it was like the way he explained it, I felt I did not feel happy because there are other people in our companies who I believe were were not great communicators themselves. They were probably worse than I was. And yet I am the one who has to do this Toastmasters thing. But you know what? I, I didn't say anything. I was like, you know, I took, I just, I listened, I nodded, and then I just went away, went back to my work. And for the first, I guess, half year, I just, I just ignored Toastmasters. I was like, I don't need Toastmasters. But the problem was I had two pauses, right? And the other boss, I guess my, the first boss told the second boss. So the second boss, he's actually my real boss. He's the guy I report to. So he just kept nagging me over, you know, the next few months. And then I just, I just gave in. I was like, all right, I'll check out this Toastmasters thing. So I went on Google search and I found Barard. And I thought, you know, they're in downtown Wednesday, 6 p.m. They're close by. I think I'll check them out. And then at the time I found out one of my coworkers used to be in Toastmasters. So, so right there I was, I was, okay, okay, maybe. Maybe this is something that's worthwhile to pursue. So I went to my first meeting 20 years ago. And then, and back then we met at the YWCA, which you've been, you know, you've been there a few times. And then, so at that meeting, it was, there were about 15, 20 people. And they were very, these were professionals. These were not, these were not uneducated, unemployed, lazy bums. These were professional people. They were well-dressed. I was greeted at the door by the president at the time. Uh, there were, yeah, I, I, I felt a very, I felt it was a very professional environment. And then when the meeting started, that was when the light went on in my head. It was like, it was like something just switched on. It was like, these guys got up, you know, somebody gave an invocation, somebody, and then they had their table topics. And uh, the topics, it was, it was something to do with the Olympics because the Olympics was, has just finished. So they had a table topics on the Olympics. There were a couple of guests there and some of them volunteered during table topics. And I felt like a bum because I just sat there. I was like, God damn it. So I, even I think as a guest, even as a guest, I'm getting killed by other guests. <laughs> so I think there's a couple of things that we need to uh, clarify, right? Like one is yeah. our club has been around for how long? Barato Spencer's was founded 
think we've been around for like over 60 years. Which is crazy, right? Like yeah. which establishment that's completely voluntarily run yes. <laughs> exists for 60 years. And then the second thing is like, yeah, you joined Toastmasters 20 years ago. And up until two or three years ago, we met in the same location. So the, the club never moved, right? It was always at the same location. No, no, we moved several times. We started as a BC Hydro uh, only. Yeah. The BC Hydro employee club. It was called like the BC Electric Club. And then, so it was a men's only club. They did not allow women. And it was just employees of BC Hydro. And then the club evolved, obviously, over time. We allowed women. We allowed non-employees of BC Hydro. And of course, we moved a few times. So when I joined, they were meeting at the YWCA. Got it. So now now I want to go back to your story because I've never even heard this story in detail, right? So you were at your first meeting and you had like build up the courage or whatever Toastmasters had come to your mind after ignoring it for six months. You go into the meeting as a guest and I think you had the same feeling even though I joined, I don't know, 17 years after you. But everything was very professional, you know, like you got into an environment and you're like, all right, these guys are taking this seriously. And in my mind, one of the main reasons that I think characters like that go to clubs like Berard is because we meet after work, right? For you to go somewhere, you know, like, I don't know, drive somewhere, walk somewhere, take transit somewhere at 6 p.m. on a Wednesday night, it means you really care about this goal, right? I've been to Toastmasters Club where like you just meet at lunch or, hour at or work. Or your boss forces you to. Or your boss, yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever it may yes. be. But you know, like I, I think that just shows a level of commitment that, that kind of weeds out the people who don't really care about this goal, right? Because it's easy for you to go to a club that like meets at lunch hour in your company or something like that. But yeah. in my personal experience, those clubs, you know, it's like, People don't really want to be there. They just It's just easy. It gives them a break from their day. So they just go there. But when you meet after work, it's like a commitment. So so tell me more. So you go into your first meeting. You do not volunteer for table topics. For anyone who don't know what table topics is, it's just impromptu speak, speaking. They just ask you a random question. And you're supposed to talk about that random topic for two minutes. So then what happened? Do you remember anything afterwards? Or is, are all the memories... No, I, first re- I remember the meeting quite well because it's just one of those moments that stuck in your mind. It's like it's like you go through life and you have many moments, but a lot of them you don't remember because they don't stand out. It's like you know, you wake up, it's like it's like when you're at your job and you get and you're in a rut, and then every day just feels the same as all the other days. But my first Toastmasters meeting, it was I would say it was eye-opening because it just forces me to, it changed my worldview, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you travel and you you experience a different culture, it just, it just changes something inside you. So that's how it was with Toastmaster, like my first meeting. It was, I felt, I was extremely impressed like extremely impressed by the caliber of the members. I would say my first year, like the the members that were there during my first year, 
they were probably the best members that I've seen in Boron. Now that might be because no, I didn't know anything at the time and I was intimidated. So everybody was great. No, that could be <laughs> it. But they were, well, first of all, they were, a lot of them were, they were older. They were, uh, you know, like in their 40s, 50s. Some of them might have been retired. So these were people who were more mature. They had life experiences. And, you know, they weren't just great speakers. They had life experiences and they had wisdom, which they could share because they're already great speakers. So, you know, you can have a lot of knowledge, but if you're a terrible communicator, you can't express that to someone else. So these people, they had the skills to communicate and they had the life experience. So, so there I am, you know, this uh, newbie watching all these people. And I, I found myself having a lot of fun during the meeting because these people were funny. They had jokes, I mean, table topics. Some of them were very funny during table topics. Like there was one question where, like during the Olympics that year, there was a Canadian skier called like Ross Rebecliati, I think. Anyway, he, he did well, but he was eventually busted because he smoked marijuana during the Olympics and he got busted. So one of the speakers got up and basically imitated the, this, this weed smoking guy. And he was like, his gestures were like that of someone who was like smoking pot. It was so hilarious. We all we all laughed. It was so funny. Even though anyway. this was a professional setting, he, he was he was like in 80, 86, Is that right? No, that was two thousand. No, what am I saying? Eighty six, as if you are. Yeah, yeah, two thousand. Yeah. Um, that's anyway, crazy. that that part was not so professional, but it was very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the meetings went on, and then in the second half, we had prepared speeches. I don't remember the speeches. But you know what? I remember, I remembered the members, and I remember how I felt. And then, at the end of the meeting, we had guest feedback, where we allowed guests to provide feedback, and that's when I started to sweat. <laughs> I was like, "Oh crap! I have to speak now." Oh, so they would make everyone stand up, like? No, no, no. They had. It was an optional. It was optional, but required. Oh, so it was like, does any guests have any comments? And then they'll go around the room, basically look at all the guests. So you don't have to speak, but you kind of felt pressure to speak because all the other guests were speaking. Like, you know, you know how that is, right? It's like all the guests are speaking. So I guess I have to say something so that I don't stand out. So, so I, I stood up, I said, you know, I was impressed and uh, you know, that's about it. And I said, you know, I hope to be back again next week or something like that. So now the interesting part is, so we have another long-term member who's Ken and Ken has been part of the club for, what is it? Over 30 years. Over 30 years. Do you remember him in that meeting? He was not in the meeting, but there was another member who had also been there for a long time. And 
his name was Malcolm, and he he was there for most of my journey at Burrard. Like he only left the club like a couple of years ago, but Malcolm was there at the first meeting. Uh, Ken, Ken would show up like in the next couple of weeks, like Ken would show up. And Ken was one of those guys that stood out to me even back then because the way he spoke was very different from all the, from everyone else. Like everybody else had their strength, but Ken also has his strength. Ken had presence. He had energy. He's got the language. And he just has a way of speaking that is very engaging. So 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 even back then, you know, Ken was someone who caught my eyes. <laughs> Well, Ken would love to hear that. I don't know if you have told him that straight up. So I think he would love to hear that. All right. So you finish your first meeting. I don't know if you remember anything else. I don't know what I'm searching for, right? But I'm just, I'm just curious well, to back hear. Then, that. Back then, I will say back then the club had, it was more of a social club, but every, because every week after the meeting, they would go to the, this Australian pub. It's called like Moose's Down Under. And they would have like a few drinks and stuff. So I, I would never join them in the first, you know, what in the first few months that I was there, because you know, by the time the meeting ended, it was like eight o'clock and you know, it was time to go home and sleep and do all that do all that stuff. But these guys, you know, they would go to the pub after every meeting. And who knows what happens at the pub? They might have some some honest evaluation, you know, <laughs> evaluation with liquor involved. Yeah. So what else stood out to you? So you joined the club pretty much. I mean, you went as a guest a couple of times and then you joined the club, like in the beginning years when you joined the club, does anything stand out to you in terms of, in terms of the changes that you saw yourself or like getting the courage to give a speech or anything else that stands out to you in the first couple of years? The first couple of years, all I remember was how much I wait. I hated Wednesdays. It was like Thursday night comes around, and you know what happens after Thursday? It's Wednesday, and you know what happens on Wednesday at six p.m. It's Toastmasters. So when I joined, I decided to commit myself for the first couple of months to attend every meeting. So for the first couple of months, I went to every meeting. And let me tell you, the walk was worse than the meeting. <laughs> it's like the anticipation was worse than, you know, that two minutes that I had to stand up and say something. So I don't know, I just remember walking from my work in Gastown to the meeting and I just, I had this fear of table topics, like I really did. It was like the worst thing. Like, have you, have you have you seen members get up to do table topics and then they would just blank out for a few seconds? Oh, that has happened to me. I'm not sure if you were in that meeting. Um, it was, I think the table topics question was, what is the nicest thing you have ever done for someone, right? Oh, okay. And then the reason my mind completely blanked is because I was like, 
I have to search for the absolute nicest thing. You know, like if, if the question was, what is a nice thing you had done for someone? I would have just said something. But for whatever reason, I was really trying really hard to think yes. of the nicest thing I've ever done. And then I just couldn't think of anything. So I was just like completely blank in one of the, but yeah, that is a very, especially as I think, a I, think I remember that question too. Yeah, but you, yeah. you handled the question well. Well, my problem was I would blank out and I would blank out for a good five to 10 seconds, which felt, which felt like eternity. It felt like 10 minutes and you're just standing there. So that was terrifying. Uh, so I guess, I guess the thought, the thing that stood out was in my early journey, it was, it was a struggle. It was the anticipation I think was probably just as bad or worse than the actual experience. And looking back, I think I was probably my worst enemy because I told myself all these stories, like, you know, you're not as good as these people, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll struggle in table topics. You'll, you'll blank out, you know, you'll, and I see, I see these people and I see, I see something they had that I didn't, which was just this ability to speak. And later on, later on, I would realize that, you know what, some people may have a great gift of speaking, but if you don't, you can develop this skill. So it, it could be a gift, but it's also a skill that you can develop. Yeah, just kind of like seen, everything else, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think I've developed that skill. Uh, I've seen other people develop that skill. And it's a great thing, you know, it's, but it takes, you got to get over that initial bump because that initial hurdle, that is what makes or break people because not everybody survives their first few months in Toastmasters. They might go, they might come one once or twice. And for some reason, you, you never see them again. Yeah. Because, and I think, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I can't, I, I don't know what they might be going through, but the first few months you have to endure. And then once, once you get used to the feeling of standing up there, then it gets a little easier. And then hopefully you'll continue to attend more regularly, but it's the first few months, you know, they say the first step is always the hardest. And that's true. It, it really is the hardest. That's why, that's why, you know, I, I'm so impressed by, you know, I'm not impressed by people who join Toastmasters who are already great speakers. Like when you join, you're, you're already pretty good. Yeah. We had, we had Kyle Mackey. He was pretty good. And even though I admire them for what they've done, I admire more someone who joins because they were terrified. Yeah. And coming to meetings every week, being terrified, and still having the courage to do so, 
you know, that takes real courage, right? And there's no better feeling than like seeing that progress, right? Because it's just yes. so nice to see that progress and of, of people. And obviously I've been in the club in much shorter than you, but like everything that you said, I have seen, right? Like I've seen people just have one bad role or like something doesn't work out in their speech and then you never see them again, which is absolutely a shame, right? Because we all make mistakes, but again, you don't know what people go through. And the other part is like, yeah, that the, the really, the people who are really afraid of public speaking, it's just, yeah, there's no better feeling than seeing them go through and get better. So now the next question that I have for you is, so you have obviously been around for a long time in Toastmasters, right? So, since 1986, according to you. Yeah, I don't know why I said 86 at all. I think that's when Ken joined or something. I don't know where. Yes, yes, he joined in 86. Yeah. It is. Okay, so yeah, at, yeah. Least I, at least I got that number from somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so now my question is, how has your why changed over the years, right? So obviously in the first few years, you, you saw a lot of benefits from, from Toastmasters for yourself and you were able to, be a, become a better public public speaker, communicate better, and then over the years, how have you? How would you say your why of why you're still part of Toastmasters has changed? All right, I knew I knew you would ask this question, payment. <laughs> I actually I actually prepared an answer. All right, so so basically, I joined Toastmasters because my boss made me. So and then. And then somewhere along the way, I kind of lost focus. I, I, I would say I, I was in a rut because uh, I, I didn't feel like I was getting a lot from Toastmasters. And at one point I even considered leaving the club and then something changed. And what changed was I became club president <laughs> because I think this was this was probably around, well, I didn't become club president right right then and there. It was probably around four or five years after I joined or maybe, maybe even less, but I, uh, you know, I joined, I did, you know, I, I went to meetings, I did my speeches, did the roles and then, but it, it just felt, it, it just felt like, it's like being in a job where you're just doing the same thing over and over again. I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. So, so what really changed was I, I took on an executive role and then, so when you take on a role on the executive, I felt, I felt a stronger commitment to the club. I felt, okay, this is, this is my club now and these are my people. So I felt a responsibility to do what I can to help the members and to keep the club strong. And then seven years after I joined, I became club president. And you know what happens in Barak, right? The longer you stay in the club and you're not president, the more pressure there is on you to be president. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that happens with every, every member. So I was in the club for seven years Pretty much everyone who was qualified to be president had already been president. So I'm like, oh, I guess my turn's up. So 
I became president. And then I think when you become president, you, you take it really seriously because now everybody is looking at you. So I really took it seriously. And then I, you know, I did the best I could as president. And then after that, I became past president. But you know what? When I became past president, I didn't quite give up control. I let the president <laughs> do their thing, but I don't. I guess I just don't trust people. So I, I was still very involved in the club. And you know what? To that day, like from the time I became president till now, I just feel a sense of loyalty to the club. Like I really do. It's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I look at the club as, you know what? I started something back then, which led to a bunch of people joining. And now, even though, you know, I'm no longer president, what's, what has become of the club now was partly due to what I did back then. Yeah. And I wasn't the only one, right? There have been a lot of people who contributed to the club. You know, you're one of them. You know, Ken's one of them. You know, Scott. So a lot of people have put a lot of time and effort into maintaining the club. So I still feel a sense of responsibility. And now, like, you know, you asked me, why did I stay? Well, there's several reasons. The first one is we are surrounded by mediocre people. We're surrounded by them. <laughs> We're not surrounded by exceptional people. So I think when someone goes to Barard, they're, they're there because they want to improve themselves. So in my mind, they are a little better than mediocre. So part of, part of my, part of my, so part of the reason is I want to surround myself with great people, people who are better than average because you are similar to the people you are with. So you hang around with broke people, you're going to be broke. You hang around with smokers, you're going to smoke. You hang around with great people, you'll be great or you will bring everybody down. Yeah, yeah. And, and since <laughs> and since there's only one of you and a lot of these great people, hopefully they'll bring you up. So that's one reason. You know, it's important to surround yourself with the right people. Another reason is I I enjoy learning. You know what? When I was in school, I hated learning. Like every 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 time you go to school. You know, I didn't really enjoy that. And over time, I've realized when you're in school, you learn what they want you to learn. You don't learn what you want to learn. But once you leave school and you're on your own, now you learn what you want to learn. And that's what I have discovered with Toastmasters, which is I don't have to be in Toastmasters anymore, but I'm choosing to be here because there's a lot to learn. 
I'm learning how to be a better communicator, how to be a better leader. I'm learning other things from the other members. Like every member knows something that I don't. Just like I know something these people don't. Payment, you know something I don't. And yeah. you've shared that in your speeches. Yeah. You know, people know something that no one else knows. And in Toastmasters, you have a chance to express that. So why, why wouldn't I come to the meetings and learn from these people? Yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting. I think, again, I my time frame at Toastmasters is obviously much smaller than than yours or Ken's or other people who have been part of the club for a long time. But I think a lot of things that you have said completely resonates with me, right? Again, I, I keep saying the fact that the club meets after work and the commitment that someone makes really means that they care about improving, right? And as you said, we see that a lot of a lot of times, even us, right? You know, we go through times where we're just not thinking about improving ourselves, and that's not a good state to be in. So when you're surrounded by people who are driven to improve themselves in any sort of aspect, that just kind of pushes you to improve yourself, either in that aspect or in other aspects of your life. And I think the other aspect of it is like when you go through Toastmasters and you see the benefits that Toastmasters provides you with. You just kind of feel a responsibility, which what you were talking about, that like, I now feel an obligation, given that this club has been around for so long, to kind of do my part to make sure that it is around for another 60, 70 years, you know? Yeah, I mean, I the, think... way you, yeah the way you think about it, the reason I joined is because of what the other members have done before me, right? There, there were people in the club before I arrived, and they have made the club the way it is to attract someone like me. So now, if I want other members or other people to join the club, I need to make the club as attractive as I can so that when guests come to meeting, they see what I see and then they join. So it's more doing your part to keep the wheel, to keep the you know, the train going, because huh. it is a team effort. It's not one person doing as much as they can. It's it's everybody doing their part. But anyway, I haven't finished my I haven't finished answering the question yet. So you actually prepared the, for this question. Reason, it looks like yeah, you're... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I'm love like, it. Yeah, gonna he's gonna ask some tough questions. So I better <laughs> be ready. So. Another reason is communication. See, I'm, I'm not like, you know, I brag about myself a lot, but truthfully, I am not a great communicator. Like I'm really not a great communicator, but it is a skill that I have developed. And naturally you're not a- No, 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 I'm not. Like if you ask me a question, I'll probably give you like a two-word answer. Seriously. <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, I don't know how you, and I'm being completely honest, right? Yeah. Like in a lot of the banquets that we have had, you know you are like, you're the star of some of these shows, right? You're aware of that. Well, that's well, that's because I, I put in the effort. 
I know you know these you know these banquets. They're they're basically fancy meetings. That's that's how I look at them. Still, people bring their wives and girlfriends and boyfriends, people who know nothing about Toastmasters. So, I feel like I can't just speak like like the way I normally speak outside Toastmasters. So, anyway, communication is not something that is. It doesn't come naturally for me, and it's something that I've had to develop, of course, over twenty years. And I, I look at communication as a lifelong skill. It's not something that you learn for two years, and then you're good. Well, that, that's not the way it is for me. Maybe for you, payment. Maybe for you, you two years is all you need, and then you're you're good for the rest of your life. But for some of us. We're not naturally strong communicators, so we need to constantly develop that skill. So I look at this as a lifelong skill, and that's how it is with Toastmasters. You know, it's it is a, it is a it is a tool that I need to sharpen because if I don't use it, it'll get dull, and then I'll just revert back to the Nam of twenty years ago. <laughs> but I mean, I I completely agree though, right? Like like, I think like anything else in life, right? Some people have some sort of gift for it, some people don't. But if if you don't practice it, it goes away. And and I mean, we talk about Toastmasters like it's this holy grail of you know just learning how to do to do public speaking. And it's I don't think there is. I mean, I think Toastmasters as a society or as I don't know, I don't even know what it's called. The Toastmasters International is a charity. No, it's a for-profit. It's it? a non. It's a non-profit. It's a non-profit. Yeah. So, as a non-profit organization, obviously, what they have done is amazing, right? Because Toastmasters is all over the world. But I don't think it's specifically Toastmasters. It's just being able to create an environment where people come and practice public speaking. And like any other skill, when you haven't been practicing it we all have this feeling right you don't go to toastmasters for a while and then you get up there and you're like what like six months ago i was this i would have done just fine here i would have felt very comfortable and you don't so i think i completely agree just like any other skill you need to keep putting in the work in order to stay the level you are or better yet improve in the future you You know you know when i was in borard and Actually, one of the reasons why I stayed for so long was, and I did this my first few years, I, I would go to the meetings regularly, and then I would take like two to three months off, like in, like from January to March. Because sometimes, you know, it's just a grind, this Toastmasters thing, you know. You know, it's great, but sometimes you just get sick of it. So I would take two to three months off, but I'm still, I still paid my fee, my membership. I take two, three months off, just forget about Toastmasters. I come back and I feel energized. I feel refreshed. And you know what? It's almost like a different club because there are so many new faces. And then all these new people, they don't know me. So it's like it's like going to another Toastmasters club and you just feel, I feel, because I've been away for two to three months, I feel very rusty when I came back. So, so I was doing that for the first couple of years. I mean, I don't, I don't do that anymore, but 
I was doing that for the first couple of years and I felt at the time I had to do that so that I could stay in Toastmasters because I didn't want to leave. But at the same time, I was getting, I was getting tired. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't want to leave. So I'll just take a break and I'll come back. So I did that for a couple of years. And you know what? That That's a great strategy for people who do not want to leave Toastmasters, but but they're getting tired of it and they would like to return. So just you know, just take take two months off and then you'll you know recharge your battery and then you'll come back and you you have a fresh perspective. Yeah. But anyway, going back to the original question, this is the last <laughs> how many points do you have now? This, this is, is my last lot. point. It's my last point. All right, so I love it. Last point. <laughs> See, in Toastmasters, you have a chance to make an impact on someone else. You really do. Like you, and you do that different in different ways. The most powerful way is you do that through evaluations. And when you evaluate someone, especially a brand new member, this is your opportunity to either lift the person up or just destroy them. Like you have that power. Not too many people understand that you have that power. This new member just did their icebreaker. They're probably extremely nervous about the evaluation and you have a choice, right? And you can either tell them they did a great job and maybe your evaluation alone will make them come back next week or make them continue Toastmasters, or it can make them not come back. And that's, that's, that is the power you have as a member. Yeah. And that's, that's not the only way you can influence people. You can influence people by just giving a speech. If you have something important to say, you have, a, you have the power to do that. You've heard Osama speak, right? I have, yeah. Do you think like he comes across as a very powerful speaker, like his message and his delivery and just the way he is able to communicate? Like I find he's a very effective speaker. And, you know, yesterday he gave a speech no, you weren't there, payment, but he gave a speech about values. And then he brought up two athletes. You know, he brought up Muhammad Ali and he brought up Lance Armstrong, two guys with very different values. You know, Lance Armstrong was busted for steroids, whereas Muhammad Ali refused to get drafted to fight in the Vietnam War. So two guys with very different values. And the way Osama communicated that, it stuck with me, like well past the meeting, even though the speech was seven minutes, the, the meeting was two hours. You remember the speech after the meeting because of this, because of the way the speaker delivered the message. And that's, that's, how, that's how it is with Toastmasters you have the chance to influence someone 
And you never know, like you never know the impact you have on someone else. And you may never know. Yeah. Like I don't know what impact I have on people. And you have a lot, let me tell you. <laughs> you have a you lot, right? Because you do a lot for the club. Yeah. You you really are invested in the club and broad. I mean You know what? I've had I've had a lot of meetings where I actually beat myself up after the meeting because because I made fun of someone or <laughs> because I said something that was not politically correct and it might have offended people. So I've had a lot of meetings where I look back and I said, God, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> why, why did you say that? I think you hurt this person's feelings. You should apologize. So I've had a lot of those meetings, you know, and over 20 years, I've had 20 years worth of beating myself up. And that's one thing that you realize. You don't realize this the first few months when you've been in the club. It's only it's only when you've been there for years that you realize these things like what you say, what you do has an impact on others. Yeah. And I think the the the, the matter of fact about public speaking is you're exposing a part of yourself, right? You're exposing either your thoughts, what you think. And you're doing that to a crowd. So therefore, obviously, you have a bigger chance of influencing people because, and, and you know, like I had heard this analogy that, that people are scared of public speaking is because you're exposing yourself to the crowd. Right? You're exposing a part of you. It's almost like you're making yourself be available to be judged by a large audience, right? And that is probably yes. why we yes. fear public speaking and why you know like for example osama gives this speech and stands out to you um, so that's that's really interesting so the other the other thing that i was thinking about myself is why do you think toastmasters in general not even our club has been so effective for so long like what aspects of toastmasters do you think make it such a sustainable model that has obviously stood the test of time Toastmaster is, it is very simple in how they do things. It's very simple. There's no courses. There's no homework. You know, there's no, okay, you, you go to classes every day or every week for six weeks and bam, you're a great speaker. There's none of that. All you do is you go to meetings, you get up and you speak. And then you get evaluated. That's it. That's all we do every meeting. You, you get up, you go there, you speak. You speak for one minute, two minutes, 10 minutes. And then someone evaluates you. And it doesn't matter how short or long your speech is, you still get evaluated. So it's not just the practice of speaking, but it's also the feedback you get. But you know what? It's, it's not just the speaking, the feedback, it's you're doing this with a group of people who also want to improve. And that's that combination is very tough to beat. It's like, let's get a group of people together who are all focused on one thing and everybody helps one another. And it's only by doing that, that everybody gets better and that's, 
that is a very simple formula. You know, the people use that formula to create companies, to create very successful organizations. It's like, we're all in this together. It's just like this pandemic. We're all in this, we're all in this together. And that's, that's how it's managed to last, you know, 80 years or however long it is. So it, it, it's a pretty decentralized model, right? Because like every club is kind of doing everything by themselves, right? So there's some guidelines that Toastmasters provide, but every club is doing its own, it has its own executives and is making all the decisions for itself. Why is it that there's no, I mean, I, I don't hear of anything that competes with Toastmasters, right? Why is there no other, what do you think that is? I'm not sure if there's anything out there that, well, first of all, you're making an assumption, but you know what? I don't know if there is if there is a competitor to Toastmasters. I'm not sure. I'm sure there are courses out there that teach you about public speaking, but yeah. there's no organization other than Toastmasters that teaches people how to be a better communicator. It's it, you know what? That's a great question. Maybe it's because Toastmasters has been so successful that the barrier to entry is very difficult because mm -hmm. there are hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people who have been involved in Toastmasters over the decades. And, you know, they do it, they tell other people, and it's almost like Toastmaster is a monopoly. It's very, you know what, if, if I decide to start another Toastmasters to compete with Toastmasters, how would I do it? Well, yeah. I would have a bunch of clubs all over the world. <laughs> we would meet once a, once a week and we would get up and we would speak and then we would have evaluations. <laughs> the formal already exists. Just, just like Toastmasters. Yeah. And there's like a network effect, right? Like in yeah. tech, they talk about network effect and there's definitely a network effect that... You know, you would get a manual or a program that you work on and then, you know, maybe I'll throw it in contest twice a year. We're going to train people. We're going to have club executive. Basically what I would do is the same thing that Toastmaster is already doing. So why, why reinvent the wheel, the wheel? I don't know. Can you come up with another with a better way to do Toastmasters? No, I mean, I, I, the thing is, I guess it's since it's nonprofit, it's very inexpensive too, right? So the fees aren't too crazy. So I think, yeah, there's just, there's, they're providing a very good service, right? So yeah, yeah. it's just hard to compete with. So are there any other questions that you thought I would ask you that I haven't asked you? That's an interesting question to ask, right? Let me look at my 20 pages of notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me look at all the notes that I took to, to prepare myself. All right. So I talked about why I'm here for so long. I think we, we went over the benefits. I thought you would ask me about certain members. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't know if I, yeah. given that this is a podcast, I don't know. I feel yeah, like yeah. you need to. But which member were you thinking of talking about? No. 
Well, well you know, I, you know. Let, let just well, I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Just yeah, maybe so you can, can anonymize it so that I mean, just because I don't know. Just so we can fill out this podcast payment. No, no, no. I, I'm interested to hear the stories for sure, but I just, you know, I don't know if people are okay with sharing their. So. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to give their full names. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you about this guy called Payment. <laughs> Actually, I would love to hear this. I would love to hear your perception. Of do you even remember when I joined the club? What did you think? Do you remember anything about? No, I, I remember. I, I think you're one of those guys who stood up <laughs> when you first attended as a guest. So when you joined a couple of years ago, you you even volunteered for table topics, right? A couple of times. I did, and yeah, um, yeah. I'm and not sure if I did it out? in my first meeting or the second meeting, but yeah. I had to like push myself to. You know, I was like. I'm going to be at least within the first three people to volunteer, you know? And I was like, all right, I couldn't do it the first time. I couldn't do it the second you know, time. I have to do it now, you know? Like, like when I when I was a Toastmasters, you, you know how scared I was of table topics. And when I was a guest, I never volunteered for table topics. So when I see a, a guest volunteer for table topics, I am instantly impressed. And when you volunteered, I was like, this guy is either really stupid or he's really good. <laughs> and turns out it was the latter because you were really good. You know, you spoke very clearly. You spoke, you didn't, you, you didn't give like a one word answer. You know, you, you used your time. You were very organized in your speaking, so. So you stood up right away. And then when, when you joined the club, I was very happy because I felt you already had the skills. You've got the skills already, but with you, it's more refining the skills and just getting that experience because not everybody who joined has the skills and they have to build up that skills over a long time, but you had the skill. So you were already ahead of the average person. Right, you and don't you, need to you compliment have, me. No. You might have been ahead of certain members in the club. Anyway, you joined and then, you know, you did your thing, you did your speeches, you, you did the executive duty, you competed. And I felt I felt like you always had, you know, the talent to be a great communicator. Like, like, do you feel that, that you could, that speaking is, is it comes easy for you? So you see, this is a very interesting thing. So I'm not even sure if you know about this, but I learned English when I was in grade seven, right? So, and when I learned English, I went to an American high school. Actually, so in grade seven, I went to school where most of the people were Iranians like me. So I didn't really need to speak English. But then in grade eight, I moved to an American school. And like my English wasn't that good. You know, like I had only kind of learned English for a year. So like in middle school, which is grade eight and high school, I had a hard time just because my English wasn't that good, right? And I think like those are obviously you're defining, you know, you're a teenager, you're just kind of finding out who am I? So I remember like in, in high school and stuff, I would, I would never 
first of all, like volunteer to do any sort of presentations or anything like that. And then I had a really good friend of mine who would like, we were really good friends. So he would just like try to annoy me and volunteer me to do stuff. So for example, in English class, like we would be, everyone would have to read the passage. (laughs) He would just go up to the teacher and be like, payment wants to read, payment wants to read. And like those things were really hard for me, you know, like either any sort of public speaking was hard. But after when I got comfortable with English as a language, you know, like obviously I didn't do much public speaking when I was in grade five. I didn't, I don't know if anyone does. After that, I think, yeah, generally I realized that I like talking and I like communicating, but speaking in front of a crowd is not something I, I was comfortable with from the get-go, right? In some of the speeches, which are actually recorded at Toastmasters, I definitely was nervous and I still get nervous, right? And, yeah. But it's something that I always have admired, you know, like, like I really admire the people who tell a good story. I admire the people who are good communicators. So it's something that like, I don't know, like it just really attracted me from an early age. So I think, yeah, I have a, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I would say I'm naturally good at it, but I've just always been very interested in it. But if you saw so, me in high school, you would, you would not recognize me, right? Because I would be so self-conscious about like, you know, mispronouncing a word, word and yep. then just getting, getting made fun of for their <laughs> next six months about it, you know? <laughs> well, people change, right? People yeah. evolve. Like who you were in high school is not the same guy yeah. today. Yeah, but I felt, I felt you, I felt like you were a natural speaker. You can't, you can't teach natural talent. Like you can't teach talent, period. But you can teach skills. So you, I felt you had the talent. And, you know, over time, you've, you've, you took that talent and you developed that into a great skill. So, and of course, I was not the only one who felt that way because you made it all the way to the, the district level at the, one of the contests. And of course, you know, you played second, so you did very well. So you clearly had something going on, Payman. <laughs> Anyways, about enough about me. I All get right. uncomfortable when that happens. But I, I'm, <laughs> I'm interested to talk about maybe some of the members. We won't mention names. But, All right. But what were you thinking? Because clearly you had some people in mind. So, you know, evaluations is something that I find very difficult, especially early on. When you're doing a speech evaluation, it's very difficult. And I'm just one of those people where when I'm evaluating a speech, I tend to over-evaluate in the sense that I write down way too much notes. And then I run out of time. And then then I get mad because I didn't get everything I wanted across. Now, during my time at Toastmasters, a lot of people evaluated and they, they had notes, right? You write your notes. So when you evaluate, you read from your notes. So according to my worldview, when you evaluate, you need your notes. Now, there was a guy called Anthony. Not, not Anthony, not the one that you know, but this was another Anthony. He joined the club, you know, he, he was a good speaker. He did his roles, 
and when he when he evaluated, he would use his notes. Anyway, one day, he decided not to use his notes. He just got up and gave a three-minute evaluation of another speaker. And I'm like sitting here, I'm like my mind is blown. I'm like, I have been in the club longer than this guy. And yet he's able to evaluate without notes. And he did a great job too. It's like my mind is blown. Like, do you have do you know who Roger Bannister is? Um, is the he... guy who did the four minute mile? Yes, 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 yeah. yes. So before him, no one did a four minute mile. And then along comes Roger Bannister. He broke the four minute mile, or he broke the mile in four minutes. And then after that, everybody started doing it in four minutes or less. Yeah. And that's the way it was with Anthony. Wow. He was wow. the first guy to get up. Well, he was the first guy that I knew who got up, gave an evaluation without notes. And you know what? After that, other members started doing it. We had James, sorry, not James Haddad did it. We had Anthony Illaray did it. We had Melissa Tan who did it. It's like a bunch of people got up to do it. And that's that's what I meant when I said, you know, you got to surround yourself with the right people because yeah. eventually you will become, you will become them or they become you. So, so Anthony lifted everybody up. Well, he, he hasn't done anything for me because I'm still using notes. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people saw what he did and then they, they started doing what he did. And that's a great thing, you know, it just made, it took the club to a higher level because now, hey, you don't need notes. Yeah. You, don't need, you can now do the mile in under four minutes because <laughs> other people have done it. And then we have Scott, you know, Scott, he took that to another level. He was doing table topics evaluation without notes, general evaluation without notes. Anyway, he's just... Scott is an amazing human being, and I tell him this all the time, and I'm going to talk to him for sure in one of these podcasts. Yeah. Like, role model. Scott is, is an amazing human being. But, you know, Scott, Scott was one of those guys. Scott followed the same tra trajectory that we all follow when we join Toastmasters, which is you join the club, you're, maybe you're not comfortable, you feel awkward. So when you when you first get up to speak, you you don't show yourself. You just do the bare minimum just to give the speech, right? But over time, your personality takes over and your personality shines through in your speeches. And that's the way it was with Scott and with everybody. You know. Scott's first speech was not funny. It was the most serious speech you will hear. But, you know, over time, his, his humor dominated. So now whenever Scott speaks, you know, he's, he's going to be funny. Yeah. He's going to make people laugh. But it wasn't like that initially. And yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that with so many members. And it's like when you... 
this is something I think about a lot, right? I think we all have a tendency to hide, you know, hide our full personality or whatever when when we're in a new situation. But a lot of times when you're just being yourself and, you know, you're just truly being yourself, you're you're just exposing your personality, you, well, some people won't like you, right? That's a reality, but that's okay. You'll find people yeah. who like you and that's great. But a lot of times you're just so, you know, we just hold so much back that maybe we miss out on opportunities to connect with other people who are like us, who are also have their guard up and are not exposing their personality, right? So it's just a missed opportunity of finding people who are like you. So I think, yeah, that's definitely true. Like as people speak more, they get more comfortable and then they expose their personality. We said we were going to anonymize people and we so far yes, we've yes. just mentioned the names. But we, you don't call out some thing, people. Another thing that stands out to me, I don't know if you'll remember this. Um, there was a guest that we had. I honestly don't even remember. I think she was Eastern European and she would come with her boyfriend and she would make it a point to volunteer for table topics. And sometimes I would sit close to her before she would go out for table topics. And like, you know, like it was just such a big moment to her. And you could see that like she had made it a point that she would go up on table topics and like her boyfriend would like fire her up. And she would go up there and like, I, it was just amazing. You know, like she was just like the smaller girl, but she just had this power that like I have made the promise to myself that I'm going to do table topics. And I don't know, it just stands out to me the amount of courage it took for her to just keep getting up every time. And I again, that's not even a, that's not, that happens maybe not often, but it happens quite a bit yes. within Toastmasters. And that's another beautiful thing that you see that makes you come back, right? It's just seeing people really pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone. I think I know the person you are referring to. This was at the in-person meeting, right? Exactly, and yeah. And she came, she came a few times and I exactly. remember- I remember she volunteered a couple of times for table topics. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't talk to her, but I, I would assume she was extremely nervous yeah. before getting up. And even when she was speaking, she was extremely nervous, but, but you know what, when you, when you face your fear, something happens. Either you get killed or you kill the fear. Yeah. One of those two things happens. You know, it's interesting. There's this, um, so this is going to be a weird one. And I hope you don't go on a rabbit hole, but there's a YouTube channel called Seek Discomfort. I'm not sure if you've come across it. No, it's just a bunch of guys who are like, I don't know. I think they met in university and literally the whole premise of their YouTube is that in every video, they just do something that they're uncomfortable doing. And their whole message is like, yeah, everything that's, that's good in life happens when you seek discomfort. Sometimes they get a bit corny, to be honest, in my opinion. But I, I, I really like their general message, right? And it's, I, I think it's completely true. Like anything that you enjoy, anything that you progress in, you just have to seek, comfort, seek discomfort. And it almost sounds like, you know, <laughs> it's, well, you know what? it's a given. Yeah. If you think about it, when things are going well, do you do you find yourself improving when things are going well? It's only when you struggle that you find that you find yourself either 
given up or fighting it and overcoming it. Yeah, but there's a sweet spot, right? Like it's the same thing with stress. It's like yeah, yeah. well, you know, too much stress. Yeah, yeah. It's just and when you when you're struggling too much, it's like almost like you. So that's why you need to find that state. And that's why I think within Toastmasters, when you join a club, it's very important. And I, I, I mean, I think this is research-based, right? Go to a club where there's people better than you. There are people who are your peers and there are people who are maybe... Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if you're fighting Khabib, you're going to get killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. matter how much you struggle. Yeah, and you're not going to improve gonna that much. Killed. You know, yeah. it's not like you're going to become yeah. a better wrestler <laughs> but if by you... fighting one of the best wrestlers in the world. If you join Toastmaster, which is a control environment, it's a yeah. safe environment where you are put under stress, but it's not the type of stress that will take your life. Yeah. Not that type of stress. <laughs> you you put yourself in that situation and then you see what you're made of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're not staring at a guy with a gun pointing at you you know yeah this is not the type of stress that we're talking about it's yeah it's it's stress that is actually useful for you if you overcome it and that is different for every person right it's like again we're all just so different and and what induces a bit of stress in you could be completely different than me and the point is you know you're not looking at absolute value you're just looking at in your subjective experience what makes you a bit uncomfortable that can help you become better. All right, now, so I think a good final couple of questions would be, if you could go back and, no, I don't wanna ask it in that sense, but if someone else who is, you know, who's like Nam 20 years ago and is thinking of, you know, thinking of improving themselves in terms of public speaking, I mean, obviously the advice would be to join Toastmasters, but beyond that, what would you say? If they're thinking of improving their public speaking, then I would say, I would ask them why they want to improve. Very good question to ask. And you know what? When you ask someone why, they might give you a reason, but they might not give you the real reason. So you got to dig a little deeper. You may have to ask five whys. Like, why do you want to join tools? Like, why do you want to improve your public speaking? And they might say, so that I can give presentations at work. And then you say, why do you want to give presentations at work? And then they might say, so that I can uh, show my boss that I am a valuable member or that I can deliver presentations to clients. So you got to keep asking the whys until you get to the real why. And for, for many people, the real why might be, you know what, I'm just very shy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shy person and I get very awkward in social situations. So I need to resolve that issue. And they may not know it. They might not know it. They might say, oh, I need, I need to, I have a presentation at work, so I got to go to Toastmasters. And they why do you think that's important to bring up is because when you know your why, it makes you more likely to follow through with... Yeah, when you know your why, when you know the real reason why you're doing something, 
that is what is going to keep you going because Toastmaster is not easy. Yeah. It's really not easy. It's difficult. For most people, it is extremely difficult. And if they don't have their why, they'll give up very easily. That's why you, you need to have, you gotta have your why. You know, if you're if you're in the stock market, then you gotta you gotta know why you're investing. Is it because you want to make money fast, so that you can impress people with your wealth, or is it because you're trying to become financially free, so that you are not relying on your employer for income? Like you gotta know why. Yeah. When it comes to Toastmaster. And I think we all have the experience, right? You need to know why. And you may not know that reason at first, but but hopefully, you know, after you join the club or other clubs, then you'll you'll discover a, a, a deeper reason for why you are doing this. I think we so all have me, the experience, guess, right? Like you, you want to learn something new, you forget about, uh, or maybe you don't actually care about it, right? <laughs> you like go for through me, it you... yeah, I mean, for me, my, I guess my real why is, you know, the communication benefits are nice, but it's more surrounding myself with the right people, the constant learning, and just the knowing that I can have a positive impact on another person because you have that ability to influence another person. You just don't know how, but you have that ability. And at the end of the day, you know what? We all want to make a change, right? A positive change. And Toastmaster is one way to do that. Well, I think it's absolutely beautiful, man. I, I think it's beautiful how committed you have been to Toastmasters, how committed Ken has been in Toastmasters and... Uh, one one other thing that stands out to me, you know, like one of the most beautiful memories I have at Broad is remember when we got a bottle of wine for Ken in one of the banquets, and then we gave him the bottle of wine, and we all stood up and clapped for him. I thought that was just such a beautiful, wholesome moment to really appreciate the fact that you know he's stuck around for so long, you have stuck around so long, and obviously, let's be honest, mainly because you guys want to see other people benefit from the same thing that you guys benefit from. So I think that's absolutely beautiful. I love this conversation just for my own sake of purposes. And I love your virtual background. <laughs> and if someone listens to this, who knows, Nath, maybe you'll change someone's life just based on yeah, this maybe. conversation. Maybe someone will listen to this and try to get better at public speaking. So Sounds thank good. you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it now. Payment, it is a pleasure to be on your podcast, the PPP, <laughs> the Payment Parme podcast. Thank you. Well, you heard what our thoughts are. I would love to hear what's yours. Go to anchor.fm slash that random thought and send us a voice note letting us know what you think.